The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com events where you can get your tickets. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. We do have a slightly different format for you today. Our deputy political editor, Fia Kelly, sat down last week with Fianna Fáil leader Michal Martin in his office. Fia has been observing Michal Martin's political career for many years now. So tell me, what kind of a person is he and what kind of a mood or place is he in right now? When we sat down with him in his office in Leinster House, he was in actually quite a, a, a decent mood. <laughs> and actually, Connor didn't have as great a, yeah. a final as he did a semi-final, you know. Who would have played next round? We'd look after His moods are easy to read, actually. If you speak to people in his parliamentary party, and even if you engage with him from a media point of view, you very quickly know what type of mood he's in. If he's not in a good mood, he can be quite uh, chippy and short. Uh, if he's in a decent mood, he can be quite expansive and, you know, generous. But the thing about him is, I think, you know campaigns and the kind of nitty-gritty of politics excites him and perhaps they're heading into a couple of by-elections now in which they fancy their chances of winning perhaps two or four. By the way, we have strong candidates in Padraig O'Sullivan and, and um, uh, Shane Malcolm Byrne. <laughs> uh, well, I've done in Wexford recently. I mean, again, like in Wexford, they see them, they're really angry there because they see Wexford as a forgotten county. I think his perseverance is something that politicians across the house respect of him. They think, look, he, he clearly has stuck at this for a long, long time now, and he's entering the key period of that. Is this the culmination of the the next year? Is this the culmination of the the nine years building you've done? Do you see this as the? I see it. I see it. I won't say the culmination, um, but I'd say it's the it's, it's it's the next major milestone in terms of that recovery. Yes, uh, and in the sense that we want to. You know, we're of a view, we want to be at a critical mass that will enable us to lead the next government. That's the key. You know, people say, or the, the criticism of him from his cabinet colleagues when he was in government was that he did, couldn't make a decision. He was a ditherer. He would commission report after report after report without making a decision. I, I think maybe he's shed a bit of that. He's more ruthless now, perhaps, than he would have been maybe as a cabinet operator. But he did show a degree of ruthlessness in moving against Brian Cowan when he did. Perhaps sometimes there is a maybe a, a slight air of um, the Finnegalers would call it holier than thou. Mm-hmm. Um, he famously was compared to a priest by Leo Varadkar. He kind of reminds me of one of those parish priests who preaches from the altar, telling us uh, to avoid sin while uh, secretly going behind the altar and engaging in um, any, any amount of sin himself. That is the exact way that that Finnegale would see him. They think that 
they are astounded that he turns what they see as his weaknesses into a virtue. So when he's weak, he decides I'll extend his confidence supply agreement, and yet he turns it around and like you know, dons the the, the, the kind of holier than, than holy uh, as they see it uh, visage and says I'm doing this for the good of the country. And Finnegan's tut tut and go, you know, he's doing this for the good of Fianna Fáil. Both, of course, are right. Could you characterise for me the relationship between Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar and how it has evolved over the years? They clearly dislike each other. You're not in a position to lecture or advise anyone on housing Varadkar sees Martin's, you know, thin-skinned, unable to take criticism, slightly hypocritical. From Martin's point of view, um, he, I think, you know, the criticisms he has of the teacher are out there. He says them all the time. Spin-obsessed lacking in substance. And if he cared enough about it, we have too much spin. That's why we railed against the Strategic Communications Unit, because that was Way about over spin, time now, over please. substance. All about polish, substance. not about actual policy. Slightly aloof. He said something, he said something interesting in the doll last week. He said, you know, you're always talking about logic and cold logic and your empathy gap is something that people, I think, don't get. He, he said that in the Florida House last week. But I often wonder, is that a symptom of the fact that they both, you know, respect each other and, and, and see a worthy opponent when they look across the chamber. Do you respect Leo Varadkar? Do you respect him, as a, respect him as an opponent, as a political opponent? Of course, I respect all opponents. Um, and, um, but it's, Do you rate him? But this is fundamentally, this isn't about, even though people will try and construct it, as one leader versus another, actually. It, it's a political vision versus a different, an alternative political vision. It's a party, in Fianna Fáil's sense, that will intervene on the housing and will not allow the private market run riot, which is what Fine Gael do. So it's about a fundamentally different vision of where society should be. Mm. That's what this election the Social would Democrat be about. versus Christian Democrat? Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. what it is. That's fundamentally what you're looking at here. It's not the first time he's referred to Fianna Fáil as a social democratic party, but that's obviously a subject that's both clear to his heart and something he sees as the best way to define Fianna Fáil against what he describes as the Christian Democrats and Fine Gael. Yeah, I think he at, at heart is a social democrat himself, whether Fianna Fáil is a social democratic party. This you know, version of Fianna Fáil under him certainly has social democratic policies all right. Um, I think it's, 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 not, it's not just a way of defining himself against Fine Gael. I think it's more deeply held than that for him. I think he genuinely sees himself as a social democrat in the European tradition, like even if you go back to that last cabinet he served in, that crisis era cabinet, you, you know, people at the time said that he was one of the ones who would, when Brian Lennon would like, you know, outline cuts that had to be made, that he was one of the ones who balked at a lot of them uh, because perhaps of that tendency that he sees, you know, the public spending in the state as, a, as, a, as an agent for, for good. Uh, I think it, it helps him as well in this situation because... If he pigeonholes Fine Gael as, you know, the right of centre grouping when you're trying to build alliances, like it's clear that the doll is very much now a centre-left assembly. And, you know, if he says, I'm a social democrat, then he's kind of, you know, saying to the others on the left, be they the Greens, the Labour Party, the Sock Dems, you know, I'm the man to do business with. But it's all very well to be warm and fuzzy and social democratic, but is that kind of borne out in actual policies that are recognisably social democratic? He's been getting flack from Fine Gael for uh, not having any policies at all. And yet just five out of 22 Fianna Fáil spokespersons have produced only nine policy papers since the formation of the current government. So that was Fida Gale's attack video, essentially, on Michal Martin, on, on that point about whether they have any policies. Um, you asked him about that. Did I have a point? 
Fiat, you're not an agent of Fine Gael. I'm asking you questions. <laughs> Are you giving credence to this kind I'm of behaviour? It's, 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 it's a political no, it, it, yeah. it was it juvenile. It was your front bench on Sunday. Yeah, but it's a Sunday, you see. Unfortunately, they didn't ring me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get excited, I can tell yeah. you. It, it was juvenile, uh, silly, and I don't think it resonated with the public. Uh, they singled out broadband and said you've no policy on broadband. What is your policy on broadband? But I mean, in terms of broadband, we have a policy on broadband. We don't, we don't agree with what they're doing. Mm. We have said that. Um, an alternative approach would be, like Robin Watt, the, the Director General or the Secretary General of Finance, and saying a state enterprise, ESB, mm. should lead the charge on it. Now, to go from 500 million mm, yeah. to, to, to 3 billion. Would you reverse sanctions um, then if you're in government? I've said that, yes. Yeah, you would. But it depends where it's at at the time. I mean, yeah. obviously, if contracts are signed and so on like that, that creates an issue. Yeah. And the broadest possible policies we provide, which is. I think it's a fundamental. Yeah, sorry. Which is how you allocate resources. Yeah. The conference by agreement sets out the template the between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. You've done four budgets now on, on that basis. In the, going into the next election, what will your position be? You've already spoken about the damage to public service over the last few years. As you see it, not enough investment in public services. What will the position be on the allocation of resources in terms of public services and taxation reductions in the Fianna Fáil manifesto? It will, it will uh, without question, will have to um, focus on the provision of public services. Because what ratio are we talking about? We're not going to go into exact ratios, but it will be heavily... On, ba- on the basis that there are huge problems in terms of access to health services, growing population, aging population, living longer. Um, we're not catering for the elderly properly enough in terms of step-down facilities, in terms of rehabilitation beds, in terms of community services, home care packages. What's happening every year is the government are picking a figure, plucking it out of the year, and hoping to get to October by it. They don't get to July, never mind October. The uncaring Fine Gael who have let services wither on the vine is the charge that Fianna Fáil have made for years now and they're not going to change tack at this stage of the game. And whether they have any policies or not, um, the Fine Gael attack, I think what people in Fianna Fáil would say is that they do have policies lined, like not saying they don't have any policies, but they ask why would we show our hand now on detailed policy positions when Finnegan will just rob them on us and uh, cast them, uh, you know, carry them off as, as their own. And, and, and he sort of believes that that's happened already. Have, well, look, they've taken our policies. Mm. It's weird. I mean, in health, they are bereft of policies. I mean, it's Finnegan who said we'd have universal health insurance for everybody in 2012. Remember that? Andy Kenny, mm. the, the Dutch model, um, money follows the patient. What happened that? Mm. It, 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 they had to abandon it because they had no blueprint. The only thing they can claim credit for is a Fianna Fáil initiative, driven through confidence and supply, when we said bring back the treatment purchase fund that James Riley abolished. The affordable housing scheme is another. He insists that Fianna Fáil stitched into uh, recent budgets and he said that is then turned and, you know, as a government policy, when in fact it was our policy and people in the party would, would say, you know, people aren't paying attention right now to what the key policy offerings may be at the next election. Those big reveals, if you like, are for the campaign or weeks out from it when you have people's attention and people are focusing on the government and the alternative government uh, that's be, that's on offer. So that's the, the Fianna Fáil response to that Fianna And in some criticism. ways we can expect what you might think of in some ways as quite a traditional Fianna Fáil campaign when it's campaigning from opposition. He's going to come in with concrete promises of investment in the kind of areas he was talking about. There. Yeah, and... Uh, he he said as well that like you know the overwhelming priority for a Fianna Fáil government will be to spend on services and restore public services. With he has identified a number of issues over successive years where he thinks you know okay there's a problem here 
And it may sound like, you know, niche to some people or it may sound niche to a wider audience, but he identifies an issue and he goes at it and at it and at it and he thinks that that brings him success. So I just had Spina Bifida Ireland in with me prior to earlier this morning. Um, a relatively small group population terms, they have no access to physiotherapists for their children. Uh, they, have no, they have no, in the, in the car care region, for example, there's no um, unit there to, to cater for their needs. Um, equipment for children with disabilities is appalling. I mean, they were telling me stories of their children. Uh, they said to me, how would you like it if you had to go around in shoes that were um, too small for you for three months? And, and the implications that have for the children are immense. Why can't we as a country make sure that the basic facilities and equipment that children with disabilities require should, can't get them without going through all this rigmarole? You're on a list, it'll be six months' time. That's, so so what I'm saying, is, what I'm saying is, if Leo wants to give two billion to the high tax earners, you do it on the basis that you look after those children first. Don't give me all the figures, please. Just look after them. They're not being looked after right now. Orthotics is a disgrace for children with spina bifida. And that, that, that is a way he, he operates as well. Like, he may get up in, on leaders' questions and, like, you know, they often think it's said about Mary Lou MacDonald is she will go for the Hollywood pass of, this is going to be on the 6 o'clock news. So I will reference what the story of the day is and that will get me my 5 second, 10 second, whatever it is, clip on 6 o'clock news. What he will do instead is will identify an issue that you may think is niche where is he getting those issues from? Because, you know, modern politics, we're told, is all focus grouped and researched and all that kind of stuff. Or is this his own experience on the ground or does he have a certain way of, of, of coming to those conclusions? It comes from his own um, experience. As far as I can tell, everybody does research, everybody does polling. But what he, I think, takes uh, pride in and he often, you know, his parliamentary party and his front he they often get lectured by him on the fact that he believes that being active in communities and canvassing helps you pick up what people's concerns are. So he picks up these concerns from engagement with people and his TDs pick up these concerns with engaged people and it feeds back into the system through, you know, the party policy formulation to the issues you raise and leaders' questions. Now, leader of the opposition has much more time to do that than a Taoiseach because the demands on a Taoiseach are, 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 are just too great for him to be out canvassing a couple of times a week. But that is where he gets the issues that he thinks are causing difficulty from. And, you know, what they'll do is, you, you can imagine what they'll do is he raises an issue on leaders' questions, you know, Facebook times or Facebook spaces bought, targeted ads, targeted videos into, you know, that direct interest group. So it's kind of a, a, a building of coalitions as, as, as he goes along, you know, one group, another group, another group, another group. It may not seem that he's focusing on the, the bigger issue of the day, but it's a kind of a broader sweep that he's working towards. With, it seems to me, although he wouldn't get into the exact ratio between tax cuts and spending, increases that like it'll be with garnished with a small bit of you know tax reductions for the the lower and middle income people if you look at their policy position over the last couple of years it's been you know changes to the usc I, I i'd say that'll be the same it looks like that the only taxation reductions you've talked about a modest change modest decrease in the usc annually year on year yeah. that's basically what it is and the majority and some income tax in terms of the lower wage, sorry, the lower income groupings. Yeah. The lower income groups, so you but won't the, be raising the thresholds. The, the problem is there's a, there's a finite level of resources, but there's a growing appetite for consuming those resources, particularly as we hmm. live longer. Does that, does that require saying, like, you know, okay, the health service, it needs this much more money? We need to be honest, that's what I'm saying. We need to be honest with people. We can't pretend to people we can do, be all things to all people. Leo tried it a year ago when he announced the tax pledge. 
what he didn't realise, I think he was convinced over 12 months ago there would have been a general election in 2019. So that Ardesh speech about, I'm going to give, was it two billion or whatever for tax? He thought there would be an election. They were never going to deliver that. Just as they were never going to deliver the abolition of the USC in 2016. You remember that? They promised the But how do you, how do you deliver a transformation of the health service? No, but I think this is a very key point in the election. And you guys have a role in this as well. Because you guys allowed... Well, in a way, they got away with, without too much scrutiny, but we're going to abolish universal social charge. Maybe I'm wrong in saying they got away with it because people didn't buy it. They chipped it over their figures. But four billion. No, but people bought into it. You can abolish it. You can't. I meet people on the doorstep and they ask me, are you going to abolish you? And I tell people on the doorstep, I can't. And I won't be abolished. It may be modestly reduced. It will not be abolished. Because where do you get four billion next? It's an equally difficult task to say, I will solve the health services once and for all. It is. Um, once and for all, mm. uh, but you can make you can make significant improvements in the health service. You can affect change. We did it. I make no apologies. So much more money. You talk we about we, we dramatically we dramatically changed cardiovascular mm. strategy. Mm. We dramatically changed cancer approach, and we've got better outcomes so as a result. How much more money are you talking about going into the health service? I'm over <coughs> and above what's budgeted for already. How much more do you think? Well, there'll be two needs? elements to know. There will be, there will have to be efficiencies within it. There'll have to be Cuts. reallocations. No, I mean in terms of how we do health. Mm. Um, and th- there will be additional funding. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I think we have to. And I think Stephen Donnelly will be working, is working on our policy approach to that, which obviously will find its way into our manifesto, obviously. But and, and that that's key. But there will be additional expenditure required in health. So it's a t- twin-track approach of um, first of all, and there will be some changes to how we structure health. Mm. Part of the issue with health is it has a full range from disabilities right across, and it's very stretched. Uh, and as a result, I think there are inefficiencies in terms of She's talking about a couple staff. of separate departments, maybe? Well, we're looking at some areas around where we could, um, inter- not separate departments, no government departments, but certainly certain areas within health, and particularly around disability, that we need um, a particular focus. Mm. So, for example, the therapies is the key one there. Mm. Health are not delivering therapies mm. to children, in the, to the degree that they should. I've, in 2016, we put into our manifesto that all schools should be, you know, the government have taken that idea a small bit and mm. classic pilot up somewhere in Dublin. Michal Martin doesn't do pilots, mm. I can tell you that, uh, in terms of these kind of initiatives. Mm. And I've, long, I've been in both departments, I know what is needed in terms of children especially. So, so like, my point being, restructuring does matter here mm. and you can make it more efficient. And we do see examples of that. And you can save money in health too mm. if you're more efficient. But even... Allowing, when I'm trying to say even allowing for the efficiencies, which undoubtedly have to happen, you do will, because of growing and living Can you longer. Say how much? Not here. I'm not going to give you the full figure here because that's for the you know for obviously Michael McGrath and Barry and others. Mm. Uh, when we mm. look at all the, the full uh, range of policies, we got to put it all together and make sure that it's fiscally sound. Because we signed up as a party, it was one of the big movement at the time. We agreed with the fiscal compact uh, way back when we were only 20 TDs. Uh, so we've been fiscally responsible the whole way through. Sophia, that's very interesting. It's a clear commitment, and we'll see the detail presumably closer to the election, to increasing spending on health. Michael Martin got a lot of flack because he had been a minister for health during the good years from Fine Gael, who said he was profligate. There seems to be a general perception in the current government that health is a black hole and throwing money at it won't fix it. There's a different uh, view there from Michael Martin. Yeah, he thinks that, you know, health does need more money and you need to be upfront and tell people exactly how much money it's going to be. Now, he's not suggesting that there doesn't need to be some sort of reform or, you know, efficiencies to use that classic uh, word around the system that you can't reorganise and restructure things. But he does say that it does need more money. Like, you know, when you see the situation where 
uh, successive uh, ministers of finance have kind of thrown their hands in the air at this because they think it is just a pit that money get disappears into. He, it's it's going to be interesting to see him outline exactly how much money he believes it will take to fund the health service, where he says that money is going to come from. In the past, he's raised uh, policies such as hypothecation to you know say to people that this is a bit of money that could go and pay for uh, a bit of health funding. So it'll be interesting to see in a situation where, as you're right, that. It, he will be accused of being profligate, of being, you know, just spend money rather than actually look at reform and, and, and kind of, you know, squeezing what's there already. Health is one of his, you know, you can tell the departments he's served in because he has a, a keener interest in them than some other policy areas. So people on his front bench would say to be the front bench spokesperson for a portfolio he has held is a bit of a nightmare because he he will take a huge interest in and will sit on them and know exactly what the subject matter is. So the issue of his uh, like his his role previous role as minister for health is already starting to kind of you know filter up and bubble up like leaders' questions. Just last week, Leo Varadkar threw this at him. You know, you were the minister for health when the trolleys were going out of control. That there was no he brought up his record there, and you know you know how dare you criticize me in this government. So that will be if he's going to try and make health. Strong point. You can clearly see what the government have said. Okay, how we counteract that is to bring up the worst memories of his tenure in the Department of Health. And he, he made reference to restructuring and restructuring again of the HSE. And if he has a set of specific items that he wants enacted uh, under the auspices of the HSE, the spina bifida point he made, other points, um, presumably that requires a more hands-on approach. Yeah, he raised an issue of reform of the of the um, the health system in the interview about. You know, dealing with those subjects you just raised, you know, perhaps reorientating the system, but didn't elaborate on it, didn't get into too much more detail. It was one of those things that we assume that we will be told before an election that there will be kind of a, a reorientation of the health service. That would require a big, big change. And, you know, given that there, you could almost say, you know, has there been reform fatigue in the health service at this stage? It'd be interesting to see what, what developments come there before the election. Now, he mentioned there that Leo Varadkar thought he was going to have an election sooner than this. And of course, the reason he didn't have that was because of Brexit. And that has been the overarching political issue of our day for the last two years or so. But he doesn't think it's going to be an issue in the election. The issues in the elections will be housing, health, crime, won't cost of living. Yeah, it won't be Brexit. It won't be Brexit. It Not, won't be a Brexit election. No, I don't think it will be. That's mm. a, 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 housing, a view. health, cost of living. Yeah, that's where it is. Now, that is his position that the election will be about these things because obviously the government are, are seen as weak on housing, health and the cost of living. You've no doubt it will be a tug of war between everybody involved in the election, all sides, you know, all parties to define the election on their terms. You know, I, 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 it will be about all of those things. It will be about Brexit, it will be about housing, it will be about health. You know, is the fact that we now have a Brexit deal and like, let's say the UK is left in an orderly fashion by the time the election happens, you can be bet your bottom dollar if Fine are going to use that as uh, you know, an example of Leo Varadkar's leadership and standing for Ireland on the international stage, and we'll see all this footage of him on those four podiums with Michel Barnier, Jean Claude Juncker, and uh, Donald Tusk. You can imagine that will all come back out because we know that's good for him. We yeah, know of course, that's yeah. been good for him in the polls. It's been good for him in the polls. Every poll boost, like, you know, you go back to the first initial, you know, turbocharged boost the Fine Gael had in December 2017 was Brexit. Recent poll improvement has been on the back of Brexit. So you can imagine the Fine Gael will try and make it not exclusively about Brexit, because I think he is right. I don't think people are going to vote on Brexit. 
But I think that it would be a huge element of the campaign. But if that's the case then, um, what is Fianna Fáil's position? I mean, is there is there some point of division or confrontation? Because they need to find one, don't they? On Brexit, I don't think so. Like, the fact that there has been a consensus on Brexit, I think, uh, will be used to slightly defang that Fine Gael benefit that people will say, you know, we stood up for Brexit and you can see Fianna Fáil and Labour, Sinn Féin come back on. Actually, there was a united front on Brexit, so we should deserve some of the credit too. And that would be a key line of Fianna Fáil. That yes, we facilitated stability. We are responsible. We helped get the country through this tough period. But there was some indication that he might find a line of attack in some way on the ultimate outcome of how those Brexit negotiations have gone. Uh, I do regret that that may was not cut more slack. Yeah, you've said this, and you've said I, that, um, I, I, that that the, the deal that's on the table now is the worst deal in terms of east-west trade, and that she should have been cut more slack by the teacher than the European. In what way should she have been? Well, essentially around, I think, around um, what she was looking for at the time was a formula of words, it seems to me, that would have said the backstop is not um, indefinite. So you would have got rid of that, you scrapped that phrase unless and until? Well, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, compared to what we've now done, like, I mean, I'm not, I look, I don't get me wrong, I agree with avoiding no deal, but when you compare it to the backstop is gone now, in, in, you know, the, the, the prize from May was... She was staying in the customs union, which for Ireland as a whole and the Republic's trade, it's a big prize. And we were staying in the single market for a foreseeable period ahead. That is obviously going to be one of that, for his the Taoiseach's main yeah. calling cards in the next election. But you're now saying, well, you could have given a bit more leeway, a bit more diplomacy there would have helped Ireland in the longer run. It's an observation I've made at the time, by the way. And can that, you say what you would have done? I just said it. But like I mean, in specifics. I, think, I mean, look, I'm not going to, look, I'm not in the executive and I'm not, I'm just making the point and I think historically that will be looked at, mm. you know, as a moment in time, maybe when we could have saved more than we've potentially saved now. Does that criticism make any sense, Vic? Uh, I, it doesn't really hold much water to me. He's right in the sense that the withdrawal agreement now is not as good a deal for Ireland as Theresa May's withdrawal agreement is because of the potential damage to east-west trade due to a much harder Brexit being pursued by Boris Johnson. He's not specific on, on, on you know, okay, Theresa May should have been cut more slack. How? It doesn't quite pin himself to that. And because I think he'd have to commit to something like have to commit the time limit or the various other yes, things that were yes, being thrown like, around. You know, which we're saying could be said, like, you, know, you can imagine something going, you know, okay, you would have, you know, weakness, you would have you know, bow the knee to the UK. Um, I, I'm not sure, that, like, okay, look, it's a, it's a fact that the, the deal is not as good as the, the last one. But I'm not sure it's, it's as simple as to say, look, if she had been given a bone, it would have passed. I think, you know, I've heard people make the argument that that so many votes now, one of the, uh, the votes in the House of Commons when it looked like it may pass until Geoffrey Cox torpedoed it with his legal advice, you know, if more slack had been given, would it have passed? I was speaking to someone myself um, in government this morning who said, um, look, this process always had to happen, that we were going to lose cabinet ministers in the UK, prime ministers, there are going to be general elections, this is a disruptive thing and this is British politics playing itself out. I'm not quite sure that quoting Theresa May, slack would have helped. When I uh, became leader of the party, not just leader for this election campaign, but I want to rebuild and renew the party in the best traditions on which it was founded, uh, as a party to serve uh, the people, a vehicle of opportunity for social progress and social advancement through education 
One way of looking at Bill Martin's leadership over the last nine years is it's been this long, painful, rather slow process of rehabilitation for Fianna Fáil from the catastrophe of 2011 when some people thought the party might be coming to an end. And certainly he's been heading in the right direction there. But is there still a feeling that perhaps among some quarters of the electorate there is still an absence of trust in Fianna Fáil? I think that issue of trust, yeah, you're right, he has everything, I think particularly in this doll, everything he has done has been with the goal of restoring trust in the party and the party brand. But, you know, I think that the issue that we saw in recent weeks of the voting controversy probably damaged Fianna Fáil in that it raised that old issue of, you know, you can't really, can you really trust them? Can you trust them to do this? Can you trust them in government again? I think that's perhaps why that was damaging. You'd only have to go on election performances so far over the last couple of years. They've been relatively good. They're nowhere near as much as they were when they were in their 40%, but they've been neck and neck in Fine Gael for a while now. So, you know, they're on their way back. They have restored trust with the electorate, if that is any measurement. And I think he's interesting in what he says in confidence supply, that he believes that is the thing that has restored trust in the party more than anything else. Now, not everyone's happy with it, and some of our own supporters are not happy with it, and people who are annoyed with government policy are not happy with it. But actually, mm. deep down, people say it to me, and a lot of people thank me, actually, for just for maintaining stability at a time of the Brexit threat and the no-deal threat. And that's a genuine sentiment that's out there. And that has done more, probably, to rebuild trust for the party than anything else, and is still there. Um, I think I also feel at times that Fine Gael don't respect that enough or mm. that's politics and they'll do what they have to do. But this endless, this idea that give us a blank check forever, mm. that's not a realistic and could never be a realistic proposition because government has to be held to account. And we have our challenges in the broader political environment of maintaining our position mm. as a lead opposition party, yet facilitating government on the basis of policy priorities, which we identified in confidence supply. Then Brexit inter- intervenes, casts a long shadow over that in terms of you know the March deadline of no deal, and then we have the uh, October 31st deadline. And I took clear decisions as early as December, saying we can't have government limping on from month to month. I said last December, we will not precipitate a general election because of Brexit. That means facilitating a budget. That means facilitating um, a finance bill uh, and a social protection bill, which takes you into January, okay? So he, cl- he clearly believes that confidence supply, and he says this, has been the major issue in restoring trust in the party amongst the section of the electorate, being seen to do uh, the good, the right thing by the country, not pulling the country down at an opportune time to suit Fianna Fáil's party political ends. And I think, you know, I think people in Fine Gael, and there are many, and they're outside Fine Gael as well, it's been a repeated uh, issue in Leicester House, so, you know, Michal Martin and Fianna Fáil will pull this government down at the drop of a hat. I, I, I never quite believe that because I always, if you look at Tim Bale, who, you know, is kind of like this advisor to Fianna Fáil, like ex officio or goes to Ardeshes, you know, he's been a bit of a touchdown. He's a UK, UK political UK analyst. Political yeah. analyst. And he has written about, you know, uh, how his big thing is restoring trust. And if you take Tim Bale's analysis and apply it to Fianna Fáil, this was always a long road for Martin to rebuild trust. And I think that any idea that he would pull a government down, I may yet be proved wrong, and this is probably not correct. Given that we were one of the conceivers of confidence to supply that we've delivered it. And in doing it, I think we've demonstrated that Irish politics can behave maturely, mm. unlike like what's happening in Britain and so on, and other countries, mm. that we can sort of work our affairs 
hasn't been optimal. The government hasn't delivered on health and housing. Big failures. But nonetheless, can we bring this to a, a reasonable, sensible conclusion that just demonstrates here's an exercise that has its critics, but at least it gave government for a period of time. Uh, and that may mean uh, that, that we will engage in the new year uh, in terms of facilitating an orderly wind-down of confidence and supply. So that seems pretty clear to me, um, Fiak, that we're not going to get an election jumped on us in February or anything like that. He'll go along roughly with that April to May timetable and he'll talk to the Taoiseach about it in January. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, idea on a number of levels. One, it kind of, yeah, this fear that he pull it down. He's saying, no, we will have a managed, you know, end to this uh, arrangement. Like it's, it's, you know, when you think about it, it is four years now, you know, we never thought it would last this long. A couple of issues I think, you know, spring to mind. One is it's, it's an offer that's hard to refuse. If the teacher saying I want an election in May and the leader of the opposition comes and said, OK, you know, a couple of weeks between us, let's decide what the last business is to be cleared through the houses before we have an election. The Taoiseach has said in the recent weeks that he would like to see some policies agreed between the two parties to go in tandem with an election date. It's hard to see how that would happen. I get the sense that any agreement, if there is to be one, would be more like, Let, let's finish these things before we go to the country. Taoiseach's response will be interesting. But the other thing is that he's clearly doing it with a mind to what could happen after an election, that I need to prove that confidence supply has worked from beginning to end because I may need to have a confidence supply agreement underpin me if I'm in government. You can see that, like, you know, Michal Martin wants to go back and say, well, look, confidence supply isn't that bad. We did it for four years. It's a perfectly satisfactory way of running a government because he may have to rely on it himself. So, again, it's some degree of self-interest at play. Uh, wants it to be seen to be responsible, but knows that he has to show that this can work because he could be relying on himself. Based on what he said, how would you characterise Michal Martin's approach to the next election? A couple of elements. One, personality is is a, an issue, but not a dominant issue, the contest between himself and the Taoiseach. Two, constituency level politics and the importance of individual candidates all over the country. That has been a consistent uh, message from Fianna Fáil under his leadership. And another element is he clearly thinks the world hasn't changed in four or five years, that improvements in public services and, you know, an increase in the supply of housing is, an, is the way to win over the electorate. Of course, he has to strike a balance between saying we knew how to build social housing in the past without reminding people of housing policy under the last Fianna Fáil-led government that obviously led to slightly rough uh, outcome for the country. Now, Fine Gael, as we know, as we've discussed previously on this podcast, elected Leo Varadkar in the expectation that he'd deliver them better, better electoral results than Enda Kenny had before, that he was a more attractive leader. Micheál Martin clearly believes that in a head-to-head contest with these two men offering themselves as Taoiseach, he can perform very well and win. So is this going to be defined as Micheál versus Leo as far as Fianna Fáil are concerned? He, I, I don't think so. He himself says that while it will be a significant element of the campaign, the two leaders, the personalities of the two leaders, that the campaign is about so much more. It's about constituency level politics. It's about wider issues aside from the personality presidential style politics. But it is undoubtedly going to be a feature of this election. It's the first time in over a decade we've had two people identifiably going for the position of Taoiseach because 2016, you know, nobody really thought that Micheál Martin could be Taoiseach after the election. He himself did, obviously, but not many others did. So this time you're going to have two big blocks competing for the office. And I think while they're very evenly matched, while Micheál Martin was a better debater than Enda Kenny, 
it's not the same now, so it's going to be a fascinating contest. And people will remember in the last election, there were several party leaders side by side in most of the debates. Uh, as we'll hear here, he, uh, he wants a head-to-head on this occasion. Uh, Would you like to see it? Uh, of course, yes. Two candidates for Taoiseach. Yes, yeah. Alone in the studio. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And But I'm kind of, I mean, I didn't get on the... You know, for some reason, uh, I wasn't facilitated in the Eighth Amendment debate. And I wasn't facilitated in the marriage equality by RT. They have different... I mean, maybe I should get annoyed when I keep saying that, but I mean... And I end up on TV3 for both in debates. It raises questions, you know, um, and I've said that to them, you know, and they have all sorts of excuses, but the bottom line is the, 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 the leader of the largest opposition party didn't find his way on to any debate um, uh, in both referendums. Sore point. We'll get over it. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks very much. Thanks, Millie. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon, and our engineer, JJ Vernon. Remember that you can find us at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. You can usually find me on Twitter or you can mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.